What a blessing it is to be here again one more time. Let's pray. Father, we just honor you in the name of Jesus for all you've done. Speak afresh in this place and Lord, cause us to learn and to grow in our faith towards you. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, saints, we're going to continue the lesson we've been working on. This is Answers for the Struggle, Ancient Wisdom for Modern Problems. This is Lesson 17. Lesson 17. I want to I wanna deal with this tonight, and it's going to be an interesting time as we look through the Pastor Scripture, Chapter 17 of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 17. Proverbs chapter 17. And in Proverbs chapter 17, there are, I'm going to only use 14 life lessons from Proverbs 17. 14 life lessons from Proverbs 17. And, and, the, and I think that this will give us a great um, overview of the chapter, a great overview of the teaching, and of what the uh, writer was trying to convey in this particular chapter. And, and the first one is strong, and it is obvious, but it also is the kind of thing that people forget. And number one is satisfaction the satisfaction of serenity. Satisfaction of serenity. Satisfaction of serenity. You know, you know what the word satisfaction is. Serenity is simply the word for peace. Look at what verse one says. Better is a dry morsel of food served with quietness and peace than a house full of feastings served with strife and contention. The message Bible puts that same verse this way. A meal of bread and water in, in contented peace is better than a banquet spiced with quarrels. Let, let, me, let me tell you something. There's nothing like peace. If, if, you, if you are sitting and you are struggling and you're always aggravated and you can't eat in any peace, uh, the, the dinner table is one argument after another, money doesn't matter. People think money's everything. I grew up in poverty, so I've, I've seen with and without. I know what it is to abase and to abound, as, as the Apostle Paul would say. And I can tell you that in poverty, we didn't really realize we were broke because everybody around us was broke. And so the peace in our house, the serenity in our house was always wonderful. We were, we were just delighted to be alive. It wasn't always that we had uh, the best meals or filet mignon or best choice steaks, but whatever we had, mama made it good. Now, it's better to have peace. I, I go home I, and I get to my house and I go to my, my our kitchen and I sit down and eat in peace. 
with my family. That's just, oh my God, my wife can make anything. Now you, those of you know Lady Watts know she can cook anything in the world. She can just buy, and she's famous for her macaroni and cheese, but boy, she can put her foot in some collard greens. Oh man, just, but, but it wouldn't taste nearly as good if it wasn't in peace. Uh, the other day, a prophetic word dropped over me as I was uh, leaving the festive celebration for my good deacon 65 years of living. And I prophesied that there would be fried chicken in my future. Hadn't had any in a coon's age. You figure out what that is, tell me. It's been a long time, but I had a taste for it. And I prophesied to one of the saints. And just like the word of God, Hey, um, Bertie Bird joined my wife in blessing me. Didn't eat much. All I need to do is taste it. Oh, Shabbat. But it, but it was better because it was in peace. Now contrast that with uh, the trial we just all watched with Amber Heard and Johnny Depp. Them folk got money. They could buy all of us. You, me, and everybody else. I mean, they were suing for $50 million. Now, you could sue me for $50 million, but I promise you, you'll never get it. You can, you can ask for the moon, but it ain't going to happen. But to even put those kind of numbers out there and just tell you how much money they had around. But those two people... When you heard some of the stuff coming out of that trial, they were fighting like cats and dogs. They were throwing stuff at each other. Here he is out there uh, playing all kinds of great characters. She's out there in Aquaman playing all. They're they big time movie stars walking around Hollywood looking pretty, but going home catching H-E double hockey sticks. No satisfaction. Like the old song, I can't get no satisfaction, but I tried, and I tried, and I tried, and I tried. I can't get no. They had none. Matter of fact, she threw something at him one time and cut off a piece of his finger. You can't, you can't enjoy life like that. And what, he, what the first lesson that he gives is their satisfaction in serenity, the satisfaction of serenity. When there is peace, that's right, fried chicken there. When there's peace, there's a blessing, there's joy, there's happiness. You can, it doesn't matter what you're eating. Let me tell you something, a biscuit in peace is better than a banquet in peril, amen? Number two, number two, number two, is sterling servanthood. Sterling servanthood. By sterling, I mean outstanding, stellar, sterling. Here's what he says. A wise servant will rule over the unworthy son who acts shamefully and brings disgrace to the family. And the worthy servant will share in the inheritance of among the brothers. You know, 
when, when, when you have somebody that is acting a fool and they may be your, your child and then there's this other person over here that is consistent, that is doing as you say, that is, is acting more like a son, more like a daughter, you, you all know that there are times when people get adopted into families. You know, that's not my aunt, but I keep blessing her, and, and she now puts me in the, in the will like I'm one of her, her nieces because I've been there. That's what he, he's saying. He said, look, you can be such a beloved servant that you become a part of the family while that unworthy person is bringing disgrace. And what he says is, here's, here's two lessons. One is a lesson in being good at what you do, loving people, loving God, sharing the love. But the other is the lesson in you can lose your inheritance by not living up to the standards that are set for you. There's a way that you have to carry yourself. Comportment of self is important. And just because you hold the name doesn't mean you get to hold the place. You can lose your inheritance. You can lose your place. Uh, I, I've, been, I've been so sorrowful and hopeful for the Meghan Markle and, and, and her wonderful husband, uh, you know, Prince Harry. I, I'm hopeful that they can work things out with their family because there's a problem when you are royalty and you have an inheritance of royalty, but yet you decide to walk away from it for whatever good reasons are there. I just pray they work through them. But there's a situation here where his inheritance, his place, is being pushed out because of what has taken place. So you can actually lose your inheritance. You can lose your standing. And so each of us has, and that's a lesson to us who think that, you know, we're above reproach and nobody, you know, this is my name. I'm so-and-so and so-and-so. And you can't tell me nothing. Well, you keep living raggedy and nobody will care what your name is. Because they'll change your name to stupid. They'll change your name to shameful. They'll change your name to disgrace. You'll change your name to nobody. Amen? Number three. Number three. <clears throat> and for this one, I want to read the scripture first. Verse three and verse four. He says, the refining pot is for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests hearts. And he will do or listens closely to the wicked lips, and a liar pays attention to destructive and a malicious tongue. Let me, let me give you this. There is a screening service. Number three, screening service. What do you mean by that? I mean that everything we do is being watched. And God is in the business of putting us to the test. He, he, says, he says he will put us in the refiner's fire. He will test us. He will allow us to go through things. But he only tests us to prove us. 
And most times, I'm, I'm going to bless somebody's socks off with this. The test is not for God. The test is for you. Because, see, I need you to know that you can handle this. I need you to know you have favor. I need you to know that when the trial comes of life and the enemy's picking on you, that there's no weapon formed against you that can prosper. And if I don't let you test your armor first, then you'll be afraid when the fiery darts of the wicked comes just to hold up the shield of faith. Because you'll be thinking you got to go duck and hide when I've already given you a shield. Test it now. You've already seen that it works. Sometimes you got to be tested. And see, from some folks, you know, you don't want to go through anything. You don't want to have any trials. You don't want to have any tribulations. Well, I'm going to tell you now, I don't want a car that hasn't been tested. Test that make sure that's working. I don't want a repair job done that hasn't been tested. Take sure, make sure that's working. I don't care if the plumber comes in the house and fix the toilet. I'm going to go in there and flush it a couple times to make sure it's working. What makes you think you don't need to be tested? What makes you think you don't need to be proven? God's not going to hurt you. God's not going to, look, if you're going to be a lifeguard, and we say, you're going to say you're going to save somebody's life in the pool? Well, we want to test you out. Jump in the water and swim some laps so we know you can make it from one side to the other. Well, I don't need to swim any laps. I, I, I can get them out. Well, we want just, just back and forth. If you can't go there, then you stand over here with the rest of us and let somebody else go in the water and get. The... You need to be tested. There's not a Navy SEAL that made it through, through a SEAL boot camp that wasn't tested harshly. But every test left in the water, left in the jungle with no, no food, left, left out in the middle of the ocean, find your way back, left with a compass and, and, and a little bit of gear, you find your way back to headquarters. Why? Because when you get in the middle of a battle, I need you to know you can survive. I need you to know how long you can stay underwater. I need you to know how many fights you can do. I need you to know if you get cut, how to put yourself back together again. Some saints, untested saints will fold the first time the enemy attacks them. But saints that have been through something, I've been through the fire and I've been through the flood. I've been broken into pieces, seen lightning flashing from above. But through it all, I remember that he loves me and he cares. And he'll never put more on me than I can bear. No, no, never put more on me than I can bear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Number four, number four. Number four is sympathy for suffering. Sympathy for suffering. This is important here. Sympathy for suffering. I know some people that just don't have no sympathy for what anybody else is going through. I, I heard one person that these hearings that are going on about the January 6th uh, riot insurrection, attempted coup, 
attempt to overthrow the government. And, and, and one question one man asked is, have you no decency? They're, they're, some of us need to realize, here's what the, 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 the proverb says, verse five, whoever mocks the poor taunts his maker. And he who rejoices at another's disaster will not go unpunished. Let me tell you something. You see somebody down, not only should you try and help them get up, but you should always remember that before the grace of God, go out. Some of y'all can look back at your neighborhood where you grew up at, and you can look back at people you know real well, people you used to hang out with, your cut buddies, you know. They, we were all in the same group together. We were all in the project team together. And now you look back at some of them, and some of them, their lives are just toe up from the flow up. They, they, they don't have any teeth left and don't have any money to get something to put into place. They, they, they done been beat up by life. They're younger than you, some of them, and they look like they've been through five miles of bad road, and they took it all on their face. And you looking at them, and you say, no, what you ought to see is there before the grace of God. You don't know how God got you out of that. You don't know how God made a way for you to go and to move further and to have what you have. You, you need to realize when you ride down the street and you see poverty or destruction or you see someone strung out, just, just think about time when you took something and didn't know what you were taking. You were at a party and somebody said, take a sip of this. You didn't know if they had mollies, roofies, or any other doofies in there. You just take, you, you, you can have my beer and you, you don't know what you're putting down your throat. Any one of those things could have took you out your ever-loving mind and God preserved you. You need to have sympathy for suffering, whatever the suffering is. And what's wrong with Americans, well, people in general, is we have more sympathy for animals than we do for people. We have more sympathy. Man, you let a dog get, a, get whelped one time and we'll run over there, we'll take them to the vet, spend thousands of dollars. You let a person get a broken arm, broken leg, and first thing we say, do you have an insurance card? Because if you can't pay for that to be set, well, I just hope you can hang in there. You might just have a crooked arm. We are, we are terrible at taking care of the least of these, and we need to do better. Sympathy for suffering. You know, every, every time we, uh, we do the food pantry, it was one, we would be in the food pantry. Well, my wife and, and the SDC side of our building, the, the uh, Family Life Center, runs the food pantry through there. And they, they have a whole team, and, and so Lady Watson and all them, she orders food every week, and deacons, and they go get it, and we have trucks to come bring stuff in. But, but, but you know, when we first, at the beginning of the pandemic, the food pantry thing changed. And so uh, Brittany and all them, she was working with us at that time, they were all out there, they were creating, and we were trying to set up, and we set up in the parking lot for people to come through. And... The first thing we noticed that was different was the kinds of vehicles that were coming up. These were very nice cars, very nice cars. And the first thing is like, 
you shouldn't need any food. You can drive that. But what happened is, what you got to remember is, this person here, prior to the pandemic, was working 40 hours a week, 60 hours a week, 70 hours a week, had two jobs, go work a full-time job, then go work half the night, their part-time job, sleep two or three hours and go back to their full-time job. And now they have no job to go through. They got a vehicle they were using to take them back and forth to jobs, but they have no food. Poverty is just two paychecks away from many folk. You can slip out of the middle class with two or three paychecks with one catastrophic illness. All of a sudden, life has changed. One pandemic, life has changed. All of us, we ask for benevolence, giving, and you look around. No, all of us need to have sympathy for suffering and give unto those who are least who are struggling in this world. I need to roll on. Number five. Number five is silver satisfaction. Silver satisfaction. Now this one is great-grandchildren are the crown of aged men. And I should say aged people. And the glory of children is their fathers who live godly lives. Let me tell you something. When you get old, the one thing you want most is to see your children do well. And your children's children. You, you, want, you want to make an old person happy? Do well. Do well. Because as your success goes on, Believe me, when they get to the sewing circle, get to the senior center, get to the grocery store, get to the beauty parlor, do their, the silver streak down their hair, those ladies, all they do is sit around talking about, oh, my grandbaby, oh, my grandbaby. I, I was at, uh, I was talking with some, some good people the other day, and, uh, and this older lady there, she said, uh, she said I, I would stay to have this conversation. It's a very important conversation. A really intelligent, super intelligent lady, doctor, has about 10, 12 books out, wonderful, important person. We were having a conversation with this other person, and we are talking. I, I would stay. I need to have this talk, but I have to go because I got a date with a seven-year-old. She was trying to get home to see her grandbaby because child, grandchildren are the crown of age people. And what you want to do is, grandchildren, all of you who are, who are the children and grandchildren of others, need to realize how much what you do and how you succeed blesses those that went before you. Your success is our success. Your joy is our joy. Your peace is our peace. So you can help an old person smile just by doing well. Just by doing well. Give me something to brag about. Give me something to talk about in the circle. All right. Number six. Number six is strange speech. Strange speech. Number six is found in verse seven. It's strange speech. Excellent speech does not benefit a fool who is spiritually blind, much less do lying lips benefit a prince. 
the, the contemporary English version says, it sounds strange for a fool to talk sensibly, but it's even worse for a ruler to tell lies. Let me tell you something. You have to realize, brothers and sisters, that there are some people, no matter what you say to them, no matter how many times you talk to them, they're not going to do any better. They're not going to do any better. I, you know, some people, I don't, I don't, I never give up on people, but I don't waste my time on people that don't listen. So I will share with anyone and I'll share with them. But if they want to sit around for an hour or two and they're not listening and you know that they, and they're going back out and doing the same thing every time, that's an hour of my life that has been wasted talking to a what the Bible calls fool, someone that's spiritually blind. What I need to know is this, that there are some people that won't receive. And those persons I've got to recognize and not get upset about, recognize who they are and where they are in their life and the journey, and pray that God brings them back around so their, their blindness will come off and they'll be able to see wisdom. But, but what's also bad is when you are in a place of authority and you are the one speaking and you're not telling the truth. This scripture here, right here, this one right here, got 45 written all over it. I'm sorry, didn't mean to go there. Just that, excuse me, I didn't mean it, didn't mean that. Okay, number seven. Got a lot more to go, so I gotta rush. Number seven. Number seven says is this, a seductive scheme, or I call it slick success. Seductive scheme. Now, here's the text says, a bribe is like a bright precious stone in the eyes of its owner. Wherever he turns, he prospers. Now, what that means is this, you, there are people who can be bribed with things that make them only see the bribe. Whichever way they look, all they see is the bribe. So you gave them some money, and now all they see is the bribe. They don't see the fact that you're doing all kinds of nefarious deeds because they've been bought off. And what the text puts out here is to let you understand that there are people that will bribe others and people that can be bribed. They can be bought. You know, uh, the, uh, there's, a, there's a thing that you got to understand that when somebody is willing to take a bribe, they become a danger to themselves and others because all they can see is their own prosperity. They can't see any harm done by it. They can't see what went wrong. Only thing they can see is their own prosperity. They're dangerous. They're dangerous. So you take that bribe and now all of a sudden you're, you're allowing the whole world to go to collapsing because you are greedy for filthy lucre. And you've got to know that 
there's more to life than money. If, you, if the only thing you want in life is money, you are a dangerous joker. As a matter of fact, I don't want nothing to do with you. If all you care about is money, you are dangerous. Okay, Let, let's, let's move on. I want to move quickly. Here, here is the number eight. Number eight is social suavity. Social suavity. Suave. Suave. And, and this, this speaks to something that I, I, okay, I got a couple of things I want to do with this. You see, at some point, you've got to be able to live in this world, to hear stuff, to know stuff, and to not necessarily get into everything, be a part of everything. You've got to have some kind of suaveness to you. You've got to you've got to have a manner about yourself where you can hear and learn, take good teaching, sound doctrine. You got to be able to be in the presence of gossip and not become a gossiper. Cause see, none of us can actually hide from gossip because somebody's gonna put it in your ear. But all of us have the ability not to pass it on. Okay, let's go. Proverbs chapter chapter 17, verse 9. Let's go 9 to 13 with reading real quick. He says, he who covers and forgives an offense seeks love. But he who repeats or, or gossips about a matter separates intimate friends. So here he says, you got to get this in your, minute, your, your mind. If you are, are trying to help someone who has done something wrong, you want to get them through it, you, you're really trying to bless them. You know, they've done something wrong, but it's not so egregious that it can't be forgiven. You're seeking the love there. But if you get in there and you start gossiping and you spread the matter, what you're doing is you separate friends. Many a friend has been separated by the words of a third friend who told them what one other person said. Now, that, that statement in context was probably meaningless. But that statement is hurtful because I heard it from a third party and it seems like you're talking about me. And now all of a sudden what was a great friendship, a great kinship is now broken when there really is nothing wrong with the relationship. Because naturally we talk about each other. Naturally you, you, know, you, you may be in my presence and love me, but you can leave me. You might have a remark to make. I, if I heard it, I might be a little, little salty, but I realize that's, a, that's a part of nature. It's human nature. You didn't say it to hurt me or to, to beat me up. Human nature sometimes. So when you convey that out again, you were trying to separate friends. You're trying to break up relationships by saying it. Okay, number 10, verse 10. A reprimand goes deeper into one who has understanding and a teachable spirit than a hundred lashes into a fool. So that this goes back to covering off and forgiving. Look, if I tell somebody that really has wisdom and I say, look, you don't do that, you shouldn't do that anymore, that doesn't make sense, that's not of God, there's no blessing in that, guess what they do? They receive it and then, man, 
it's better than getting a, giving a fool a hundred lashes. Because you can give a fool, you can beat a fool stupid. But since he already started out there, you just beat him back into place. Listen, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to go there. Listen, you've got to recognize, you know, sometimes I give people correction and I will say to someone, now that's not the way to handle that. You might want to consider doing X, Y, Z. And we will have a complete conversation and they will come back and they will say, they'll say to me, I heard what you said and that, that here comes the cognitive injunction, but, but, which means that I'm going to do whatever I want to do. And so at which point I say, they say to myself, you have just talked to someone who is blinded by whatever emotion is going on here and they can't hear you. So you might as well stop because if that was a person of wisdom, what you just said would have been a deep rebuke and they would have heard it godly wisdom and they would have moved forward in wisdom and in God. And you learn that as you move along in life. A rebellious man, verse 11, man seeks only evil. Therefore, a cruel messenger will be sent against him. When a person walks in the spirit of rebellion, all that person wants to do is to do the wrong thing. But when that person is, is, is acting that way, you gotta know what's gonna happen is you send it out, it's coming back. There's a cruel messenger coming your way. Let a man meet a ferocious bear robbed of her cubs rather than an angry, narcissistic fool in his folly. I love this text. I love this text. This text reminds me of, of, a, of a story. Y'all forgive me. I told it before, but I got to tell it again. I was talking to Mr. Washington, my mentor, my friend, my beloved. He's with the Lord now. But Mr. Washington, years ago, probably had to be 30-some years ago, we were, we were talking, there was a, a sister that was walking uh, from church, uh, and, uh, and so I, I wanted to make sure she got home safe, and, and she wanted to walk, and his wife said, no, you leave, leave that alone. I said, okay, well, I said, he said, she's all right. He, so I said, I, she, she, she likes to walk, to let that go. I said, well, you know, I just want to make sure we're taking care of the saints. And he said, he said, Rev, let me explain something to you. If you see that sister right there fighting with a bear, you go help the bear because he in trouble. <laughs> ah! Y'all excuse me, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to holler. I still have. He said, you go help the bear because <laughs> he in trouble. <laughs> oh, Mr. Washington, I love it. <laughs> look, he says, he said, look, Dealing with narcissistic people, I'm going back to the text. That ain't got nothing to do with nothing. But just, it just reminded me of it when I saw it. He says, look, if somebody is a narcissist, is so self-absorbed, he said it'd be better to fight a wild animal than to try and deal with them. He says, he says it'd be easier to fight a wild animal than to fight somebody that is completely self-absorbed. Again, I hate to do it again. 45, 40, okay, I'm sorry. Anyway. Whoever returns evil for, for good, evil will not depart from his house. 
Let me tell you something. When you, st- when you keep putting out good and you're doing the right thing and somebody keeps bringing back evil to you, the Bible says you don't have to worry about them because if you return evil for good, the Bible says it's coming back in your doorway. Evil is coming to your door. I'm telling you now, you got to be careful. All right, number nine, number nine. I got to rush. I'm running out of time. Number nine is simple. Stop stupidity. Stop stupidity. Well, verse 14 is important. He says, the beginning of strife is like letting out water. I'm in Proverbs 17, this is verse 14. Anybody just joining me online now? As from a small break in a dam, first it trickles, then it gushes. Therefore, abandon the quarrel before it breaks out and tempers explode. Let me say it another way. Whenever you sense an argument about to turn, cut it off. If you're even trying to have a conversation with your spouse and that's turning into an argument, cut it off, calm down, come back and talk about it later. Because it's better to stop it because once the, the, in here he says, once the dam breaks, and what he's referring to is a walled up of water behind a dam with a tiny hole in it. If that hole doesn't get plugged, sooner or later, water's gonna come through the hole and eventually the whole wall is going to collapse and water's going to flood. It's better to cut it off quickly. Now the Israelites, there's a note in the Amplified Bible that you ought to take note of. The Israelites took this verse and this teaching to mean that it's better to create settlements, to settle a matter than to go to court. So whenever there was a dispute, it was better to go into arbitration, to settle it, whatever way it went, to get done with it, because what could come after it would be worse than settlement. And they took that as almost a rule, not to go to court to to settle matters. Um, if those of you who have been watching, Deshaun Watson has been accused of, of uh, abusing 24 women. Uh, these were masseuse who uh, were giving him massages. They claim, I don't know what the full story is, so I can't give it and I don't want to exaggerate or underappreciate what has taken place because these women are claiming that he has done something to them. What the full write-up of what that is, none of the articles I've read have been explicit. So we don't really know. We do know that they have accused him of doing something untoward. Today, just today, word came down that he has settled 20 of the 24 cases against him. Now, mind you, in Texas... He has already been, they have taken him to grand jury. They have taken it to the prosecutors. All of the cases have gone to court and every court has denied it, has said nothing went wrong. And so from his perspective, why would you settle? These women who have been offended, and please do not think that I'm not 
holding them up because I think that any kind of assault is assault and it ought to be taken to every extent of the law. These women who have been violated, they may see the situation different than he does. They have a reason to take him to court. He may think he did nothing, but if she is offended by your actions, then your actions are offensive. Plain and simple. Now you can decide to keep fighting this out. You've already missed a year of football. You can decide, but she's offended. She's got a right to be offended if you touched her in any way untoward. There's nothing you can say about that. You can say, well, I, I thought I asked. I thought we did. No, 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 no. No means no. So just because you have not been found Guilty as in a crime doesn't mean it's not in your best interest to say, since I offended you, can I give you, can I bless you in a manner in which that shows my, my desire for forgiveness? Because the, the only way they could get to him is a civil suit, which would be a monetary judgment. So he says, can I give you that monetary judgment today? Instead of fighting it out with you in court, can I give it to you today? Right or wrong, it is in keeping with what this passage is all about. You've got to figure out how do we get, how do we get a win-win? You can never go back and give them whatever you took. And just because legally you may not be criminally negligent, doesn't mean you're not morally neg negligent, and doesn't mean you shouldn't pay. What a lesson to learn. Sometimes people keep arguing over stuff they ought to shut up about anyway. Sometimes you, you get into arguments with people that ought to be settled. Sometimes the settlement is going to be that we're going to agree to disagree. But that's better than keeping the argument going. Okay, I got to go. I got to rush. I got to rush. I'm, I'm going to move on real quick, real quick. Number 10, because I want to get all 14 out before I leave tonight. Number 10. Is strength in stress. That's right. No is a complete sentence. You're right. Strength in stress. And this is uh, this is one of my favorite passages. I, I've got I've got people I believe are my friends, and here's what the text says, verse 17: A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. If, you, if you're really a friend, then what I go through, you go through. What you go through, I go through. You, you really my friend? See, if, if the whole world is hating me, the whole world's coming down on me, you may disagree with me, but you're going to come over to me and you're going to help me work it out. Tyler Perry went up there to talk to Will Smith and said, look, this is not how you want to act. Denzel Washington, what up, Will Smith? This is your big night. This is not how you act. If I'm your friend, I'm going to be your friend even in your worst night of your life. I'm going to stand right here with you. I'm still going to be a friend with Chris when this is over. But I want to make sure you know, right in this moment where you need somebody to stand by you, here I am. I'm not going to be here just telling you what you want to hear because I'm really your friend. But I love it at all times. And I'm here in the midst of your adversity, still loving on you. 
still loving on you. And that's when you know you got a true friend. Real quick, got to run. Number 11. Number 11 is sensible studiousness. Sensible studiousness. Sensible studiousness. Number 11, sensible studiousness. Listen, here's what it says. A man lacking common sense gives a pledge and becomes a guarantor for the debt of another in the presence of his neighbor. He said, look, simply, you know it ain't right. Don't be a fool. You, if, you, if you help co-sign for your child to get a house, that's one thing. But if you go out here and meet Joe Blow and you co-sign for him to get a house and he mess up on it and walk away, then that's your loss. Amen? You've got to make sure you realize that, that that's there. Thank you, Doc. You, you've got to know, here, here verse 19, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip a, a lot of stuff that I have planned, but let me just rush. Verse 19 says, he who loves transgression loves strife and is quarrelsome. So there's some people that, that always want to get into something. He says, simple studiousness means what? I'm going to be here, and I ain't gonna, I'm not going to be in, trying to start no fights, no arguments. Now, this next part of verse 19 is important because he says, he who proudly raises his gate seeks destruction because of his arrogant pride. Now, that, that, that note we've been looking at, like, oh, what in the world does that mean? Well, in, in areas uh, of, of, like that, particularly in the, in the uh, Middle East, you would have a gate around your home, around your, your ranch, your stead, and it would be a fenced-in area. Now, normally, if you, were, if you wanted someone to come into your gate, you would have a high gate. So you would raise it up high, and the people would, walk, would stroll right in on horseback into the gate. But if you knew that there were marauders and thieves coming around and would want to come in riding their horses fast to hurt somebody, what you did was you still had a gateway, but you lowered the gate so that if you think of it as a transom like this coming around, what you did was you lowered it so that a man could not get in it riding on his horse, he'd have to get off the horse and walk in because he couldn't be up that high because you had lowered your gate. So here he says, he says, you are being acting in your pride. Like I got a big ranch and there right there. Is I'm gonna raise my gate right in mine because I got money. You can ride. Yeah. Now he says because of that foolishness, what do you do? He says, you have invited destruction, and the Amplified Version as because of your arrogant pride. So what simple studiousness represents is you just you need to take the necessary precautions. It's like saying, I'm not going to lock my door because you ain't got no business being up in here anyway. Well, I lock my door because I want my door locked, and you don't have no business being up in here. I'm going to take whatever precautions I can to protect what God has blessed me with. Simple studiousness. My pride is not going to get in my way. I'm going to skip ahead. Let me give you, let me give you number, number 12. Number 12 is spiritual soothing. 
Number 12, spiritual soothing. And that's a happy heart. Listen, verse 22 says, a happy heart is good medicine and joyful mind causes healing, but a broken spirit dries up the bone. Look, keep your heart happy. I, I'm, you know, I'm, I, sometimes I get, uh, my, my folk look at me and they say, you watching the Hallmark Channel again? Uh, you know, you watching a comedy. Sometimes I like to watch a Texas Bushman. And you, you look it up on YouTube. Texas Bushman. Never know where it be. Texas Bushman. I just, whoa. I'm sorry. Yeah, you got to watch it. But he just sits up as a little bush on the side. And every now and then when somebody walks by, he just, just moves a little bit. And they jump. And I just, it just tickles me. Because I know you can almost see the way somebody walks, how they're going to react. And, you know, our people, we can cut up. Because, you know, you, you jump out at us. You know, we're, hey, hey, homie, don't play that. And, you, and some of the brothers, usually they, ready, they, they cock it back. They be ready to take his head off. I just laugh. Why? Because a happy heart does good like a medicine. Let me help you here. If you're going through something, you're dealing with issues, don't be watching Jason. Don't be watching Friday the 13th. Don't be sitting up there trying to watch The Matrix and somebody heads half over here over there. Don't be, look, you cannot, that's not going to give you a happy heart. See somebody tell a joke. Laugh. Go and have some fun. Listen to a good concert, some good music. Keep your mind joyful. Why? Because it's good medicine. It's good medicine. I got to go. I got five minutes. I got to run. Number 13, simple-minded sadness. Simple-minded sadness. Let me tell you something. When you're simple-minded, you'll receive a bribe. I talked about earlier, verse 23, wicked receives a bribe to perverse justice. He says, but you got to get to the place where you're not a thick-headed fool. Verse 25 says, you don't want to be a foolish son that brings grief and anguish to your father. Because, see, when you do that, you just bring in sadness. Finally, number 14. And I'm going to stop here tonight. This is it. We're done for the night. Last one. Last one. Number 14 is sensible silence. Number 14, sensible silence. He who has knowledge retains and is careful with his words and a man of understanding and wisdom has a cool spirit, self-control, and an even temper. Even a callous, arrogant fool, when he keeps silent, is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is regarded as sensible, prudent, discreet, a man of understanding. Look, sometimes you've got to learn not to be so chatty. Sometimes you need to just be quiet. I told you all the time, sometimes you may know the truth, may not be your truth to tell. Sometimes you just need to hold your peace. Let the Lord fight your battle. Sensible silence. Sometimes silence is golden. Whew. 14 life lessons. 
Proverbs 17. I love you all. So glad you joined me tonight. I'm just excited. I made it. Thank, thank God for each one of you being here. I want you to know I love you all with the love of the Lord. If you're watching me from anywhere in the nation, you can become a part of the Shiloh team and a part of this ministry. Become fam, y'all. I want you to be in our family. Be a Shiloh member. Be a Shiloh friend. Call me, email me. The numbers are right there on the text. Say, I want to be a part of the Shiloh family. If you want to be, look, we'll be glad to receive you into the family. We're excited to have you here. Want to ask you tonight, give benevolently. You know, we've been blessing folk and trying to do what the Lord called us to do. There are three ways to give. You can give by GiveLify, Cash App, or the old-fashioned mail. Please mark it benevolence. I promise you each week when it comes in, the, the trustees, finance ministry will get that money over there to the deacons and they will make sure that it's distributed to those in need. Be a blessing. Join us in giving. Join us in doing because we are the body of Christ and what we do to the least of these Jesus put it this way, and as often as you did it to the least of these, my little ones, you did it unto me. Tonight's offering, as I tell you all the time, is for benevolence. Give as unto the Lord. Well, saints, this has been a great one. I don't know about you, but I've had a great time, and I hope you've learned something tonight. I've had fun, and I hope you've had fun too, and I hope you learned something in this place. God bless you. God loves you, so do I. Please keep praying for the Davenport family. Keep, keep our deacon uh, Ray in your family, in his family, in your prayers. Keep him in your prayers. Again, keep praying for Sister Terry and keep her in your prayers as her father is sick. Deacon Ray, both his mother and father are sick. Please keep them in your prayers. I love each one of you. Whatever you do, remember, you are special in the eyes of God, and God loves you, and so do we. Till we see you again next week, I love you now. Go in peace, and the peace of God go with you. Shalom.